Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So, the death of the righteous is when a person has, he dies having a living, active relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the tragedy of people who assume that they can enter heaven without this living, active relationship in the Lord Jesus, only to find out that that was missing in Matthew 7.21, Matthew 7.21, where the Lord said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. He that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils in thy name done many wonderful works? Then I'll profess unto them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Like Sam always makes the emphasis about the two Spanish words, conocer and saber, the difference that conocer, to know of, saber, to know. This word here is very much like conocer, ginosco, in Greek, and it means this type of close knowledge. So Jacob now is going to bless Joseph's sons, and he's going to show us that the work of God is not dependent on one person. The work of God goes on even when another person goes off the scene. So this is a baton passing. So Jacob now turns his eyes to Joseph's sons in verse 8, and Israel beheld Joseph's sons. So Jacob is looking squarely at Joseph's sons, and in verse 8 he says, who are these? You know, it's like, it's like, that's pretty shocking. Someone looking right at you and saying, who are these? He's really blind. Jacob is really blind. He doesn't recognize his own grandson standing right in front of him. Yeah, I, I can understand that. One of my eyes is the power 10, minus 10. So yeah, he, he, that's why I'm wearing glasses. Did you know that glasses are a relatively new invention? They've only been around for 700 years. Tech the Italians... They came up with it. I mean, imagine if you didn't have glasses, if you didn't have laser surgery. Well, and Jacob, he, he inherited his eyesight problems from his father, Isaac, who was so blind, he couldn't tell the difference between his two sons, Esau and Jacob, and he relied on the sound of their voice, which almost gave Jacob away, and, and the smell of their clothes to tell the difference. So we just stop and think about that. I mean, here's God's man, God's patriarch, He's he's blind, and he wasn't always blind, by the way. There was a time when he was not blind, and he could see how beautiful Rachel was, so he kissed her, so he didn't kiss the wrong woman. But anyway, but he has become blind. He has become blind. He, he, He has become blind. And what's interesting here is that God did not prevent him from becoming blind. But what we see here is that God took care of him 
in his blind state. Now, to see this here, Jacob is so blind, and to realize that God was taking care of him in his blind state, that's a great encouragement for us. You know, it reminds me of when Billy Graham was asked uh, why he thought that God allowed him to get Parkinson's disease, which is terrible. And Billy Graham responded, because God wanted me to trust him more. He wanted me to, to rely on him more. So Billy Graham fell into Parkinson's disease. And Jacob fell into blindness. And when we fall into an ailment like the whatever, James tells us that when you fall into these ailments, James says in James 1 verse 2, James 1 verse 2, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. All right, so Joseph he recovers from the shock of first hearing his father say he's going to adopt his two sons. He's, he's recovered from the shock of seeing his father look right at his two sons and ask, who are these? And then he responds in verse 9, Joseph said unto his father, they're my sons who God has given me in this place. Now, he didn't just say, dad, these are my sons. These are your grandsons. Can't you see? He didn't say that. He, but he said, these are my sons whom God had given me in this place. I mean, first of all, Joseph calls his children God's gifts. He's the God gifts. They are gifts from God. What a wonderful way to see children a gift from God. It's terrible to abort a child. It's like saying, I don't want your gift. Discard it. But then Joseph went on to say that children were gifts from God that God gave him in this place. When he's talking about this place, he's talking about Egypt. Now, Egypt was a place of idolatry, of immorality, of just so far from God. It was Egypt was a place that was the enemies of God. And Joseph is emphasizing, even though it's in this place that's so far from God, God still blessed me in this place, in this horrible place of Egypt. It reminds me of what happened to, to this man named William Funches during the Korean War, which he wrote about when a battle he said, I immediately turned left and started up the face of the mountain, he remembered. I only got six or eight feet up before an extended burst of bullets sprayed the area. I felt a sharp pain in my right foot and knew that I had been hit. I stumbled, but two of the men grabbed me under the shoulders, and together we escaped up the rocky slope. When William looked back, all of the GIs behind him were dead. Suddenly the man on, Jake, on William's right was shot, and he fell back down the slope taking William's weapon with them. The GIs limped steadily on until they reached the edge of a deep canyon. They had two options, jump to certain death or face the dozens of enemy soldiers forming a semicircle around them. They decided to take their chances and they surrendered. As night approached, a bitter cold began to settle in. William shivered in the darkness and as he clung to his thin summer jacket, he felt something in his chest pocket. It was a Gideon New Testament in Psalms handed to him by an army chaplain shortly before he entered North Korea. The first thing I did was open to Psalm 23, said William. When I was growing up, my mother always told me to read it when I was in trouble because it would give me a certain amount of peace and make me capable of handling any situation. I needed all the help I could get. As he was lying there among the men, William began to read from his New Testament. After a while, he asked the others if they would like him to read out loud. Each man replied with an enthusiastic, yes. And William read Psalm 23 to the room. When I finished, they asked, read more, read some more. So I did. The words brought an extraordinary sense of peace to the room and somehow gave the men respite from their suffering. 
William read to the soldiers every night, each time beginning with Psalm 23 and continuing with the other chapters in New Testaments. Quote, those men were so enthusiastic when I was reading, I began to love my New Testament and I was determined to not let the soldiers take it away from me. So said William. Then soldiers loaded him into the back of a truck. William was imagining that they might be taking him where the truck stopped abruptly and he was ordered to get out. They shouted to him to start walking in open field. This is it, he thought. He anticipated a bullet in the back or a detonation of a landmine in any given moment. Yet he kept putting one foot in front of the other until he noticed the U.S. Army ambulance and two uniformed soldiers waiting for him. When he climbed in the back, one of them patted his back and said, you don't know how lucky you are. Last night, both sides agreed to release our war criminals. So there was William Funches. He was in a terrible place of North Korea. He was in North Korean prison, and he saw how God blessed him there, how he comforted him and gave him hope through the New Testament and the Psalms. There's Joseph in a terrible place in Egypt with an Egyptian wife, the priestess daughter, the daughter of a priest. And Joseph saw how God blessed him there and gave him his two sons that become part of the tribes of Israel. Then Jacob now, he, now he says to Joseph in verse 9, bring them, the two boys, bring them, I pray thee unto me, and I will bless them. So Jacob wants to bless Ephraim and Manasseh, but to bless them, they need to come near to him. So this is so remarkable that Jacob doesn't even recognize his grandsons, that, that again, there's this explanation that's given to us in verse 10. The eyes of Israel were dim for age so that he could not see, just in case there was any doubt. And so the children are brought near to Jacob in verse 10. He brought them near unto him, and he kissed them and embraced them. So the boys are thinking as they're being brought forward here that we're going to be blessed. And when Jacob asked for the boys to be brought near to him, they're a little skeptical about what's going to happen next to their surprise that what happened is that they were bear hugged and kissed. They were embraced and kissed by Jacob. Now, this kissing and embracing is not what they did in Egypt you know, this is more the Gentile, Egypt is more the Gentile holding your proper distance between relatives. But that's not the Jewish way. Jewish way, lots of hugs, lots of kisses. This is not the way Jacob was blessed by his father in Genesis 27, 26. Genesis 27, 26, where it says, And his father Isaac said unto him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. He came near and kissed him and smell of his raiment and so forth. So here these boys who have been raised in Egypt, and they're pretty intimidated by this larger-than-life grandfather, Jacob. And the boys are now brought near to Jacob, and Jacob gives them these bear hugs and kisses, the boys. And, and how do the boys respond to that? How do they respond to that? Well, you can see how they responded in verse 12. So what you look at, when you look at now verse 12, when you look at verse 12, where did the boys go as soon as they were hugged and kissed? Where to Joseph? <laughs> they ran between his knees for protection. You know, these boys, are, they're, they're in shock. They want her father to protect him from the, who is this man who's doing this? Get over it, boys. That's the way it is in Jewish homes. <laughs> now, Jacob, I think I told you this story one time. On it. When I was growing up, I was raised by a house cleaner for both my mom and my dad, too, as an African-American lady, bigger than life, May, with her sister, who was more than bigger than life, Beulah, and they were, they, they were single, May and Beulah. Very loud, very, and so that, that's why I am the way I am. That's why I have Prizzy here. 
Anyway, so our boys had never met May and Beulah. And, and May got this big inheritance and, and from the man she took care of anyway. So she always bought a new Cadillac every year. So anyway, so they came down to visit us the first time we were out on the ranch. And, and they had the Cadillac with a convertible. And they were driving down the dirt road there. And dust was everywhere. And they got to the bottom of the hill. And you could hear them a mile away. And, and May was, Beulah, look at this. Beulah, Beulah, look at I know May. I see. Oh, Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. You know, they really make it a big scene, you know. And so... Joseph was standing next to Cheryl when they were walking up the driveway, and Joseph grabs Cheryl's skirt and says, Mom, Mom, are these people related to us? <laughs> anyway, that's these boys here. Yeah, Dad, is he really related to us? Anyway, all right, so, so now Jacob breaks into a thanksgiving to God in verse 11. The Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to, thought to see thy face, and lo, God has showed me also thy seed. So again, Jacob is looking back over his life, and he's seeing how he thought, I th- he's saying, I never thought I'd see Joseph's face. Of course, you have to wonder with his eyesight if he really ever saw Joseph's face. But anyway, he says, but now I'm seeing the face of his sons. It's such a source of great rejoicing for him. And now as Joseph hears how God has surprised Jacob by not only showing him the face of himself, but also his sons, it's too much for Joseph. And the only thing that Joseph wants to do now as he hears this, just worship. He wants to worship God and show respect to his father for his great goodness. So Joseph wants to express this worship to God by bowing himself and putting his face to the ground. But he tries to bow, but the two sons are between his legs, cowering in fear. And so you've got to get him out of there, you know, So and, and he does. And then he bows in admiration to God, respect to his father. How humble of Joseph. He's the governor of Egypt. He's putting his face in the dirt of the ground. How instructive for Joseph's son to see their father bow himself in such humility before God and before his father. Now, Jacob wants to bless his two sons. Uh, Jacob wants to bless Joseph's two sons, his, well, anyway. And so he never got around to blessing them. I mean, all he got around to is the first part, the hugs and the kisses, and then they went hiding between his, his legs. So, okay, so now it's time to get on with the blessing. Which, which always comes from putting hands on the head. So Joseph gets his sons ready for the blessing, and he does so by getting his sons properly oriented. A lot of great detail goes into this proper orientation in verse 13, where it says, Joseph took them both. Ephraim, he says, I gotta get them. Ephraim, come over here. You're the second born. You go on my right hand, so you're gonna be across from, from my father's left hand. Manasseh, you're the first born. Come over here. You're, you get on my left hand. So you'd be across from my father's right hand. That's where you need to be because you're the firstborn. So he's getting this all worked out, getting all straight, and he's really been very careful to get the correct sign with the correct hand. So now everything seems perfect. I mean, what could go wrong? <laughs> I mean, you know, all that's left is for Joseph just to stretch, Joseph, just for Jacob to stretch out his hands and bless Manasseh with his right hand, the firstborn giving him the blessing of the firstborn, and with his left hand, on, on Ephraim, give Ephraim the blessing of the second hand. Boy, that's a lot of work. Everything is set. Nothing can go wrong, except Jacob crosses his hands and puts the wrong hands on the wrong son, it says in verse 14. Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand, Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. I mean, for Joseph, this was an oh, no moment. All the work. Dad has messed it up. 
Not only can't he see, he can't put his hands out straight. So we read in verse 14 that Jacob knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing when it says he guided his hands wittingly. You ever find that with old people? That, you know, old people just get so tired of being treated like they lost their minds. <laughs> that they do something unexpected just to show you that I'm still there, you know. So anyway, Jacob, he blesses Ephraim, blesses Manasseh, but first he blesses Joseph. First he blesses Joseph, and he talks about the God, and he says in, in verse 15, he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all the day of my life long unto this day. Now, it's interesting here, the Hebrew word which is behind the word before, it's interesting because the word that is, that's there that is translated before, is actually the word face, penaim, face. And so Jacob has been doing a lot of thinking about faces. You know, he said, I didn't expect to see Joseph's face. And now he's turned his mind to think about the face of God. Now, this verse, along with other verses that are translated before, the Hebrew word penaim or faces, are what God told Abraham in Genesis 17.1, Genesis 17.1, when Abraham was 90 and nine years old, 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be thou perfect. What God was saying there, walk in front of my face, because he used the word face there. And then this is how Abraham, he saw his life. And when Abraham said to his servant Eliezer, you go get a wife from my son Isaac, he said to him in Genesis 24:40, Genesis 24:40, Abraham said, he said unto him, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with thee and prepare, prosper thy way. You'll take a wife for my son of my kindred. Again, he's saying, the Lord, I'm walking before his face, his face. I mean, all this describing is telling us God has a face. What Abraham and, and Jacob were saying is that their God had a face, and they're impressed with the face of God. And this is what has impressed Jacob here, but it especially impressed him in Genesis 32 when his name was changed to Israel because Jacob said in Genesis 32.20, Genesis 32.20, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, means face of God, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. So to say that they saw the face of God was saying that they had a very close relationship with God, which is what, what is missing from what we talked about, those people who, who think they're going to get into heaven just because they've done all those things. But the Bible describes specifically the face of the Lord Jesus Christ as the only way, as the way to see the glory of God in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And this is how the Lord Jesus described himself. He said in John 1.18, John 1.18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. He hath declared him. Now, Jacob goes on to describe God as he says, the God which fed me, the God which fed me. Actually, the word there, fed, is ra'ah, ra'ah, which is the same as shepherd, Shepherd from Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. That's the same one, same word. And, and, and also in Psalm 28, 9, Psalm 28, 9, save thy people, bless thine inheritance, feed them, shepherd them, feed them, also lift up them up forever. So 
Jacob has started off in verse 3 talking about the El Shaddai, the Almighty God. God Almighty appeared unto me in verse 3. He starts out speaking about the almightiness of God. He starts out referring to God's infinite power. And now he's saying in verse 15, God which fed me. Such a small detail, a small detail as to what you're going to have for lunch, that God will concern himself with that. That's talking about God's minute care, his minute care. So these two verses, verse 3 and verse 15, they show us that God, what he does, he shows, God shows infinite power and minute care. He creates the universe with his word, and he opens up a parking spot for us at the grocery store, because that's the God we have. God is of infinite power and minute care. And what shows us this especially is in Matthew 10, 29. Matthew 10, 29, where it says, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Minute care about the very hairs of our head. He knows how much we've got left here too. That's the God of infinite power and minute care. Now, God, then he describes how long God has been this way for him, and he says, all my life long unto this day. So he's saying, from the start of my existence until now, the Almighty God has been taking care of me in the minutest detail of my life with the most tender care, like a parent feeding a child. That's what God has done for me, and that's how he begins his blessing of uh, Joseph. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being the Almighty God and yet the God of minute care. And so, Lord, we want to respond to you like Joseph did in worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, Creation Museum and Tabernacle admission, 
plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com. That's ReachIsrael.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Grow deeper in God's Word with the Friendship with God King James Version Study Bible prepared by Tom Cantor. This genuine lambskin large print study Bible features the history of Israel, full-color timeline and maps, frequently asked questions about the Jewish Messiah, prophecy and fulfillment study, Hebrew root notations and definitions, the life study of Joseph, and so much more. Order your copy today for only $49.95. That's $49.95. And receive a free personal signed copy by Mr. Tom Cantor, along with your name engraved on the cover. To order your Friendship with God Study Bible, call 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Or visit us at creationbookstore.com. That's creationbookstore.com. 